All right, good morning, River West Church. <clears throat> Great to be with you this morning. My name is Guy. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my joy to open the Bible with you. So we're going to ask you to look in the Psalms today. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Someone's going to cruise down an aisle and hand you a Bible. Sometimes it's nice to look at the larger context than the one or two verses we can put on a screen. So we want you to open up your Bible and take a look. We've been studying the book of Psalms, and it is a great study. Anytime you read the Psalms, pray the Psalms, it's good for you. It's awesome. It, it's like you're going to school. It's the school of faith. It's the school of prayer. It's the school of, of how to trust God, how to walk with God. And um, so it's formational. It begins to shape who you are in your faith and your walk with Christ. So I'm so glad that we're in the book of Psalms. And we're in Psalm 16 this morning, so you can find your way to Psalm 16. A refuge is a place of safety. A refuge is a shelter in the storm. And so the question is, what is your refuge? Where is your shelter in the storm? And it's a great question because there's one thing that is guaranteed in life, and that is that the storms are going to come. You've already weathered a few storms in your life, and you know there's no escaping the ones that are coming down the pike. It's just the way it is in life. In fact, if I were to ask you right now to just think back over the last months and years of your life, I bet you that you could identify a couple of big ones that have come your way. And it'd be so cool if that was the end of it, but there's no guarantee. And so a refuge is a shelter in the storm. And the question is, what is that for you? So we're going to look at Psalm 16 and uh, talk about refuge. But to get it started, I want to tell you a little story. This last Thursday... I think many people here that know me will be surprised to hear this, that Maureen and I drove up to Linwood, Washington, and we picked up our brand new eight-week-old puppy. <laughs> now, some of you are, are going to go, what? What did you just say? We have a picture. There it is. This adorable little puppy, that's an eight-week-old chestnut red standard poodle. That's a poodle, okay? And now, I've had two reactions on this thing, and, and they're represented by my neighbor on the right and on the left. Neighbor on the right said, oh, you're getting a puppy. That's so amazing. I just can't wait to meet the puppy. <laughs> neighbor on the left looked at me and said, why in the world <laughs> would you do that? Not once, but twice, you know. A couple days later, I walked by. He just looked at me with disgust, like, what is wrong with you? Why would you do that? And that pretty much sums up the entire spectrum of responses. And so um, here's what happened. Our kids and grandkids, right? So the grandkids want a puppy. The kids are like, there's no way we're getting a puppy. So, you know, their idea is you, the grandparents, you get a puppy. <laughs> 
And it'd be like grandchild bait, you know, and bring them over to the house or something. <laughs> and oh, we'll watch the puppy when you're gone. So, um, so my wife, she's on the internet looking at dogs, you know, and I'm like, okay, this isn't going to go well. She's looking at dogs. What are we going to do? And she's looking at all these different kind of dogs. And I'm like, honey, you got to understand, if we ever get a dog, we're getting a standard poodle. That's the only kind of dog that we can get. So she says, well, why don't you look at some on the internet? So I'm looking at pictures of, of dogs, and I find these red standard poodles, and I'm like, eh. She says, why don't you call? That's the big mistake, right? So I called. I'm talking to Paula, the breeder of these red standard poodles, and uh, she's really into it. Now, you know, dog breeders are kind of their own breed, right? <laughs> and she's really into the poodles, and she says to me, why should I give you one of my precious puppies? Why are you good enough? How do I know that you're good enough for my dog? I don't give them to anybody. And I said, well, I said, let me tell you a story. When I was a child, my life was terrorized by an abusive, alcoholic mother who basically emotionally destroyed my life. And we had a standard poodle. And that standard poodle was like a therapy dog. It was like a rescue dog. And you know what that dog did? It shielded me from the emotional abuse of my mother. The dog knew. It came to me in these tirades you've been. And the dog would come and shield me. And I said, my entire life, I vowed, someday I will get a standard poodle. She's like, what's your address? <laughs> I was like, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. It was great. That's a true story. That's a true story. Now, the standard poodle, in the days with my mom, the poodle's name was Martini. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> the dog would get out, and I'd have to run through the neighborhood yelling, Martini! Martini, <laughs> trying to get the dog back. Okay, so I love this dog. I love this poodle, Martini. It, it saved me. It rescued me. That's why it has to be a standard poodle. So we picked up this cute little puppy. We brought it home. We were told, you need to get a crate. You need to get a little crate for this dog because the dog wants to feel safe. And, you know, by instinct, they want to go into a little den. And so we have a crate. We don't have to close the door. It just goes in there and it feels safe, right? And so, you know, it's only been a few days, and all the grandkids have come over. And, you know, I have a darling, amazing one-year-old uh, granddaughter. And, uh, so, and she's here today in church, I think, and her parents are here. And so, you know, this little girl, she, she has grown up with a gigantic, like an 80-pound dog. And this dog, she can crawl on this dog, poke its eyes, pull its ears, and the dog will just do nothing. It'll just sit there and, and love her. So, you know, she's like excited. She saw the puppy, and she started laughing, and she's walking at the puppy, and the puppy's looking at her. Now, poodles are really smart. <laughs> and the puppy's like, no way. And what did the puppy do? Go to the crate. <laughs> Go to the crate. Safety. Safety. Refuge, Right? <laughs> What is your refuge in life when the storm comes? What has it been? What will it be? You know, 
it's got to be better than a poodle. I can tell you that for sure, right? And one of the reasons why we love the Psalms so much is because the Psalms speak so often of refuge. We've listened to Psalms, the Psalms of David, and we've heard about David finding refuge in the Lord in times of trouble. Last week, we heard a Psalm of David in which we had a specific incident where David was running from his own son, Absalom, who had vowed to kill him. And it was a psalm of refuge, finding refuge in the Lord. And so all of us connect with this. We go, oh my gosh, you know, I I can relate in some way to that, to that kind of a storm. Many of the titles of the psalms would tell you exactly what was going on. This is when David ran from Saul, who was trying to kill him. A lot of people were trying to kill David. This is a psalm of David when his son Absalom tried to kill him. This is a psalm of David when he had to flee to the Philistines. So we have these titles, we have these situations, and we see David taking refuge, and we say, I want to learn how to do that in my life. And that's what the psalms are for. They teach us to actually take refuge in life because we know the storm is coming. Folks, it might be physical. You might go to the doctor and get news you don't want to hear. You come home, you sit on the couch, and you're just in a stupor going, I, can't, I didn't see that one coming. Okay, the storm just arrived at your door. It might be relational. There might be some rift between you and someone dear to you, and you're just like, this is a storm. This is hard to deal with, right? It might just be emotional in your own life. Those waves of depression are just starting to settle in, and you're like, man, this, I didn't see this one coming. And you go, what am I going to do? You know, refuge. And so we're learning to pray the Psalms. Psalms teach us to pray and to find refuge. But I've learned something else about the Psalms. The Psalms don't just give us a language of prayer. They don't just teach us how to pray. They actually teach us how to think. They teach us how to think. Because, you know, you're made up of body, mind, emotions, And all these things are integrated together, and you need to know how to pray and bring your heart to God in prayer, but you also need to know how to think as a person who is a person of faith. And the Psalms are beautiful because they do those things. We're looking at Psalm 16 this morning and next Sunday. I ran out of time in the first service, so that means we're going to return to this psalm. Um, Psalm 16 is a psalm of refuge, and one of the things, it has a twist to it, and the twist is... There is no specific crisis that is uh, spoken of in this psalm. It's not like, oh, well, I was running from Saul, I was running from Absalom, or, you know, it was Goliath. I mean, there was no specific thing. And for that reason, many people think the purpose of Psalm 16 is to actually teach us how to trust the Lord in everyday life. How to trust the Lord before the storm arrives. That'd be a good time to learn, wouldn't it? And you can put it into practice when the storm gets there. You know, if we wait until the storm arrives to learn how to trust, it's kind of hard. I mean, we have to. We have to dig in. But wouldn't it be good if you had prepared your heart, if you had taught your mind how to think as a man or a woman of faith before the storm gets there? That's really what Psalm 16 does. So let's read this. I'm going to read the whole psalm. And then we'll go back and talk about a few verses. Psalm 16, a mictom of David. 
And that's the only title there. There's no occasion. There's no crisis that we know of. The word miktam, nobody can decide exactly what it means. It's probably a musical kind of a title because these were sung. It says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. But the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and that your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isn't that a lovely psalm? It covers a lot of ground, it covers a lot of territory. And remember the very first time I read this psalm as a young man, as a new Christian, I read this psalm and it hit me so hard. It made such an impression on me that I picked up my guitar and I wrote a song coming from this and just sort of putting it in my own words before the Lord. And the theme of my song was in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. I just wrote a little tune. I used to sing it all the time as a memory device to help me learn this and to pray this. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's right there, he's right at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And I love that so much because I thought, you know, that's what I want. That's what I want in my life. You know, martini's gone, so what am I going to do? <laughs> that's what I want in my life. I want something that will sustain me. Something that, that when the storm comes and I'm shaken, that I won't be shaken. I need that in my life, and I really don't know how to do that. And it became a life quest. How can I set the Lord before me? How can I keep my focus on the Lord through all things? And that's the quest. Well, that's, that's what this psalm is really about. So this week and next week, we're going to look at some of the dynamics of what we learn from this psalm. How do we do that in our lives? So let's go back to the beginning of the psalm. And let me share with you the first point, and this is kind of the essence of the whole thing. In order to take refuge in the Lord, you must have a rich view of who the Lord is. You have to start with your view of God. 
no matter how bad you want to take refuge in the Lord, and, and the storm hits and you go, oh, I just, I've got to hang on to the Lord. You can't get a tight grip unless you have a sense of the richness of who God actually is. The essence of taking refuge in the Lord is actually this. Think about this. It's talking to the Lord about who the Lord is. Talking to God about who God is, starting there. Starting with your sense of God and, and, and really bringing that into prayer, right? So talk to God. If there's anything we learn from the Psalms, it's like talk, talk to God. Well, what should I talk about? Well, you can talk about your problems, your needs, your hopes, your dreams, your fears, your storms. You can talk about all that, and you should. But wait a minute. What would happen if I talked to God about God? If I talked to God about who God really is? What would happen if I did that and if I made it personal? See, the Bible teaches us how to have a relationship with God. And in that relationship, we learn to pray. So think about this. Here's the most famous prayer of all time. Of all time in the whole world. Most famous prayer. Jesus taught it. He said, you, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, chart in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then it goes on, right? Let thy kingdom come, let thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Now I'm getting to my needs. Where does that prayer start? Starts with God. He says, when you pray, start with who God is. Start with your relationship with God. Bring into that prayer this rich truth about God. Our Father, that's a personal word. It's a, it's a beautiful word in the best sense which are in heaven, there's a word of transcendence of God's power and his majesty. That's a rich view of God. Father in heaven, that's a rich view of God. So when you pray, he says, start like that. Start by talking to God about how you see him. That's what David does in Psalm 16. Take a look at verses one and two. He says, preserve me, O God, for in you, I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. The very first thing that David does is he talks to God about God and about his relationship with God. Now, that's the starting point of taking refuge in the Lord. David has this rich view of the reality of God. Now, I'm just looking at Psalm 16, but we could just go through all the Psalms and look at all the things that David says about God as his refuge and his fortress and his help and God is, you know, the Lord is my shepherd and, you know, God is my king, right? I mean, we could just sit here and just pile on word after word of David describing who God is in the Psalms, but he doesn't just describe God, he talks to God. He calls God these things. He has a rich view of who God is. 
The Psalms challenge us to grow in our view of who God is. And as we do, to actually talk to God about that, that's how we take refuge in the Lord. Now, in verses 1 and 2, David actually presents a rich view of who God is. And it's sort of hidden from us in the English. It's more apparent in the Hebrew. So we're going to go there. I'm going to tell you just a few Hebrew words, and I'm going to tell you what David actually says because it's going to be hidden from you in the English. David says in verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. The first word that David uses for God is the word El, also known as Elohim in the Old Testament. El or Elohim. And there's a story that goes with that word. You know, if you just have a word and you don't have a story that goes with it, it doesn't tell you very much. Because this isn't magic. It's like, just use the word L. Everything's going to be fine. Just say L, L, L. That doesn't do it. There has to be a story that tells you the meaning of the word. So what's the story behind this word? What's the story that goes with the word Elohim? Well, it's from page one of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Bible, page one, verse one. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Rashit bera Elohim. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. Here's the story that goes with this title of God, El or Elohim. It is the story of creation. For every name of God you must connect it to a story that tells you the truth of who God is. You need to know more than just the title or the name. You need to know the story that goes with it. When David says, preserve me, Elohim, El, preserve me, he's bringing into his situation the reality of God as the creator, the sovereign creator of all things. That's a rich view of God. That's where he starts. So it's no surprise that when we read the Psalms, what do we find in the Psalms? We find the rich language of God the creator over and over again. God who made the heavens and the earth. God who presides over all things. I mean, we can, you just go, just start reading the Psalms. You'll see God the creator, the sovereign master of all things. That's Elohim. And David starts there. But then he goes on. And in verse 2... He puts it like this. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Now, the second word that God used, or that David uses for God is Lord in all caps. You see it there. I say to the Lord, you see it there. I see it there. <laughs> I say to the Lord, all caps, and that's the word Yahweh. Yahweh. And I think there's been a teaching recently about this in our church um, about the name Yahweh. You know that, that Yahweh is actually God's name in the Bible. Elohim, or God, is more like a title. It's like he's the creator of all things. But Yahweh is actually God's personal name. And to the Jews, that name was so sacred that they wouldn't write it. And our English Bibles carry that right through, and they don't write it either. Instead, they give you a code. 
Lord, all caps. But there's a story that goes with that name. And it's the story that tells you the meaning of the name. Do you know the story? You know, it's impossible to take refuge in the Lord unless you know the story. You got to know the story that goes with the name. You got to know the story that goes with God the Creator, and that's Genesis 1, and it's powerful. You got to know the story that goes with Yahweh, Lord, all caps, to really take refuge. Here it is it's in the book of Exodus, in chapter 6. And I love this. It's just such a highlight for me in my life. Exodus chapter 6. And I'm going to ask you to pay, pay attention now, all right? Really pay attention to what's going on in these verses. And you're going to, I think, get what I'm talking about. Exodus 6 in verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. See the all caps? I am Yahweh. Now listen carefully. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. That's the book of Genesis. God Almighty. That's El. El Shaddai. That's that word. It means God the sovereign creator. I appeared in the book of Genesis as God the sovereign creator, he says. But listen, he says, but by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they live. I have heard the groaning of my people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Now God's going to tell a story. And that story in these next couple of verses is the story that tells us the meaning of his name. It's the story that tells us why we can take refuge in Yahweh, God, the God of the Bible. So let's read it. Verse 6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you will know that I am Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. Now, if you're paying attention to that passage, you're going to notice something. You know what God wants them to do? He wants them to get it. His name is Yahweh. That's his name. But it's not just sounds. It's not just syllables. It's not just a magic formula. There's a story that goes with the name. And as he tells the story, he keeps saying, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. I will bring you out of slavery. I'll bring you out of Egypt. I am Yahweh. I will bring you into relationship with myself. I will be Yahweh, your God. I will bring you into a new place, into the promised land. I am Yahweh. God is cementing into their hearts and minds a story 
that will always be associated with his name. And you have to know the story when you use the name in order to take refuge in the Lord. In a way, the entire book of Exodus, this to me is amazing, the entire book of Exodus is an explanation of who God is in the lives of his people, of the meaning of the name Yahweh, the entire book of Exodus. It's amazing. You start off, they're slaves. They're oppressed. Life is hell. They're crying out. The storm has hit them like no storm ever. And by the end of the book, they are released from slavery, brought to relationship with God, and God is actually dwelling in their very midst and a new reality, and they're about to go into the promised land. It's an amazing story. God says, that's my name. There's a story that goes with it. Now, is that your story? David says, that's my story. Elohim, Yahweh, and then he uses the third word, and that's in Psalm 16. We'll go back there. The third word is in verse 2. He says, I say to Yahweh, you are my Lord. And you notice that time it says the word Lord, it's in small caps. There's no caps there. That's because it's actually a different Hebrew word. It's the word Adonai. So it kind of, you know, messes with us in the English. It's like really obscure. In the Hebrew, it's so plain. Elohim, Yahweh, Adonai. Adonai is... Master, Lord, Master. David says, you're my Lord. I submit my life to you as my Lord and my Master. Do you see the richness of what David has done in Psalm 16? He says, you know, Elohim, I take refuge in you, but let me get more specific. He says, this is what I say. You notice how he said that in verse 2? He says, well, this is what I say. Most people, when you pray, you don't say to God, hey, God, this is what I say. Why does David do that? Because he's teaching us. David says, you want to understand how to take refuge in the Lord? He says, listen to me. I'm going to tell you what I say. This is what I say. I say, Yahweh, God of the Exodus, God who sets people free, God of love, God of redemption, God of hope, God of purpose, Yahweh, you are my Adonai. You are my Lord. I'm making it personal. He says, that story, that's my story. And that's all I need if I have that. And that's powerful. That's powerful stuff. You say, whoa, you know, pastor, I don't know, that's a lot. Well, that's okay. Because why? Because we're in the school. We're in school here. You know, you don't get it just on one Sunday or just, you know, one week. It's, it's like we're in a school. It's in the school of prayer. It's in the school of Psalms. It's in the school of the Bible. It's in the school of seeing the truth of who God is, of getting this rich view of God in our lives and then praying about it and praising about it. And as we do, we're building a place of refuge in our hearts and our minds, and we live in that place. We live in that place. But people that do not, have that rich view of God. It's very hard for them to take refuge. It's like they're grasping, I just want to trust God, I want to trust him, but I don't know who he is. I don't know what the story is. I don't know. It's, you know, you get overwhelmed. So David had learned to bring the story of Scripture, of who God is, 
into the reality of his own storm and live in that. That's what David knew how to do. You know, when Absalom was trying to hunt him down in Psalm 3, and everybody was saying, there's no hope for this guy. There's no salvation for this guy. This guy is lost. He's never going to make it. His son's going to kill him. It's over for David. David said, but Lord, Yahweh, you are my glory and the lifter of my head. How did he get there? How could he say that in the storm? Because he had practiced it in his life. So I'm asking you to spend some time in the Psalms. And as you do, keep building your picture of who God is and keep coming to him and talking to him about those things. When it says, the Lord is my shepherd in Psalm 23, I want you to go to God in prayer and talk to him about that. Say, Lord, what does that mean that you're a shepherd? What does it mean that you're my shepherd? Lord, I'm saying to you that you are my shepherd. And that's how you take refuge in the Lord. Now, in the New Testament, we're told to pray in the name of Jesus, right? We ask in the name of Jesus, That's gospel faith. That's New Testament faith. So what about that when we pray in the name of Jesus? You know, there's a story that goes with that name. (laughs) It's It's quite a good story. It's quite amazing, actually. And what you find is, is that the story that goes with the name Jesus is actually the same story that's in the book of Exodus. It's the story of God sending a Savior into the world to live to die for their sins, to rise again. And it's like Exodus on steroids. There's a story that goes with the name of Jesus. When you pray in the name of Jesus, it's not a magic word. You can't just say in Jesus' name. Okay, all right, now now it's going to happen. You got to realize there's a story that goes with it. Do you know the story? When people get baptized tonight, they're going to be rehearsing the story, as Pastor Eric said. There's a story. There's, There's... the, the waters of baptism and the person is committing to Christ, they go under the water, which represents the death of Christ for our sins. And when they come out, it represents the resurrection of Christ in power. There's a story in that, right? And the person being baptized, what are they saying? They're saying, that's my story. That's actually my story. That Jesus, he's my Lord. The Bible says you're saved because you confess that Jesus is Lord. You don't just confess it to people. You say it to him. Jesus, you're my Lord. People are going to get baptized and they're going to confess the Lord Jesus and the whole story of the gospel. And they're going to say, that's mine. And so again, how do we take refuge? We take refuge in Christ. Oh, it's amazing. It's powerful. Now, there's so much to say from this psalm. And we're only on verse 2. So we are coming back next week, but I have to read the end. Can I just skip? I'm going to skip to the end, and then we'll come back next week. No more talk about puppies next week. We're done with the puppy. In fact, the puppy might be gone. But <laughs> that's, that's, let's just forget that for now. Psalm 16. I want to read the last three verses to you. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul in Sheol, Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. 
In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's so awesome. And you know, a lot of people read this. I'm talking about Bible scholars. They read the end of this and they, they literally say, that's just over the top. That's over the top. Because when you actually read it and you realize what it's, it's saying there, basically he's saying, I have so much confidence in God. God is such a great refuge that even death itself will not be victorious. My physical body will not see corruption. And you're going, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> Your physical body is not going to see corruption. It's not going to rot in the grave. How can that be? Okay, the psalmist has just gone too far. He's just gone over the cliff on this one. And then we realize, it's beautiful, that the psalms, they're really not just about you and me. They're really about Jesus. They point beyond us to someone greater. They point to Jesus. So that on the day of Pentecost, after Christ had risen and poured out his spirit on the early church, in Jerusalem, Peter stood up and preached the very first gospel sermon in the book of Acts. And when he did, he spoke of the resurrection of Jesus. And you know what he did? He quoted Psalm 16. He went right here because it's about Jesus. So let's just read that and then we'll come back next week and we'll talk more. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2. And uh, we're just going to get the con. You need to see that Psalms are important. They're powerful, not just for your own personal life, but they actually tell us about Jesus. So in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, at the end of his message, or towards the end of it, Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, now, here's Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced and my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and will make you will make me full of gladness in your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption this Jesus God raised up, and of that we're all witnesses. I just had to read the whole thing. You know why? Because it's a story. That's the story of the gospel right there. It's a story. Like everything that we read in the Bible, in Genesis, Exodus, Psalms, the New Testament, it's all part of this grand story. And the story tells us who our God is. And if by faith we place ourselves into that story, then we find refuge. 
That's how we find refuge in life. Now we're growing in that. Next week when we come back, we're going to look at some more practical things about how this works. Like what do we actually do then? But it starts with the rich view of who God is. And that comes from the stories that go with his name. Let's have the worship team come forward and we're going to pray and then we'll receive communion. Thank you so much, Lord, for giving us this amazing testimony in your word of who you are. We need that, Lord. We know the storm is coming. We've already been through a few. And Lord, we would find refuge. We want to know how to put you in front of us, Lord, in such a way that we will not be shaken. And I ask, Lord, that you'll help us to know you, to understand you more, to find refuge in you. So blessed. And now as we come to the table of communion, Lord, I pray that you'll help us, Lord, to anchor our lives in you, to make this story our own in every way. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.